Hello and welcome to Addiction Talk. And as always, we have a special guest with her tonight. We have Nikki Glazer. You know, she's a comedian, a reality star. Well, first off, she's one of the funniest comedians in the business. She keeps it raw. She keeps it real. You know her as a host of three podcasts. She's done Netflix comedy specials. And of course, her new e-reality on e-reality series. Um, welcome home, Nikki Glazer. So she is here with us today. Thank you so much, Nikki, for coming in. I know you're a busy lady, but we're so excited to be able to share your journey. I am so excited to be here. I always um, love to make time to talk about things that could actually help people. I mean, doing comedy is great and a reality show, but I think it's um, once you've been through a recovery journey, like it's your job to like share it. And it's also part of my um part of me staying uh, sober and, and abstinent in, in some of my programs and the things that I've chosen to give up. Like it's part of that is service, you know, being of service. And so um, I always try to speak up about stuff that when I get asked to do these things. So it's an honor to be here. Oh, well, we are so happy to have you because we couldn't have picked a better month because it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And what I do like about you, Nikki, is that you have been vocal about this. You have been sharing your journey, talking about anorexia that you've battled, talking about depression and anxiety. So when we think about Mental Health Awareness Month, why do you think it's so important for you to be vocal, for people to see someone like yourself, who's, you know, a celebrity who's saying, hey, I get it. I've been yeah. there. It's important to me because I found that what for my own recovery, what has helped me is getting honest about what's really going on, not just with myself um, and not just with like my family members or the people, other people in recovery, but like publicly, because I think a lot of times when I was doing stand up, I would be very honest about what I struggled with, getting blackout drunk, relying on weed to cope with anxiety, relying on, you know, uh, starving myself or binging or all these things. And I would make jokes about it. And, and sometimes I would even claim to tell the whole story, you know, when it comes to my binge eating and disorder, I, you know, towards the end of my struggle with it, where it got to the place where I was having to actually start dealing with it. I wish I thought I was being honest. You know, I was saying, oh, I would eat in bed. I would starve all day and then eat seven protein bars in bed at night. But the real story, which some, seemed like I was admitting something very embarrassing. The real story, it was, it was 17, you know, like that's the kind of honesty I'm talking about where that. The honesty has freed me because once you get honest about what you're really doing, and you, a lot of times we can lie to ourselves about our addictions, um, you it frees you. It it gives you a place to start from. You you know you can't start tackling things until you get actually honest. And I think it's something I've always been good at when it comes to comedy. I thought I think that's what drew me to stand up comedy was the fact that I could get on stage and say things that I've been thinking that seem too dark or too weird, and I could people would actually like me for it. So I was you know, positively, positively reinforced for being honest in my standup. But there was always something from stopping me about being actually honest because the addictions and the things that I wasn't ready to get honest about on stage were just too dark. I thought I can't make these funny because I am not in a place to, I'm not over them yet. I'm still struggling and the audience mm -hmm. will sense that. And I think that for me, I think I just, my whole life up until now, I still struggle with comparing myself to others and when I see someone that I project any kind of perfection onto admit that they're struggling with something that I am struggling with, man, does it make me feel good and give me license to be to, that, that I'm not a bad person, you know? And so 
I think that when I started to get enough of a name for myself and I started getting messages from girls saying, Oh my God, you look amazing here. Your skin, you're, you have such a good, you have so much success. Your life is perfect. Your legs, all these things. Mm. That was when I was like, I gotta put the truth out there because this is not the truth. You know, that's Instagram me. That's, that is not my truth. And I know that those kinds of things that I thought about celebrities when I was young led me to Mm. hate myself. And I, would have really benefited from certain celebrities being a little bit more honest about what was really going on and what they really look like without makeup, not tinted moisturizer, not, (laughs) you know, tattooed eyebrows, but what they really looked like and what they really struggled with. It would have, it would have helped me. So I think it's my job as a, as a quote unquote celebrity to, to not, not ever lie about anything. And to be honest, because we Americans glorify celebrities it's just the way it is i love yeah. it i love glorifying celebrities i love looking at them i love being well, like why are we so perfect you know yes. and i think that's so true because i know just from being a female myself that you do look at instagram or you look at the movies and everybody's life you know you're seeing this highlight reel and we're not yes. really real with what is going on behind the scenes you're seeing the great parts so when you think about nikki the truth of what you went through the truth of your story what was it that you really wanted people to know that you weren't initially sharing? I wanted them to know the things that, um, and I'm, I still struggle with it, but I wanted them to know that I I would get jealous of my own Instagram feed. I would sometimes look at it and I go, she's got it all. God, why can't I be as good as I was back in September? Look how I looked. And I, and I go, wait a second, you were not happy that day. Like I, I what I want people to know is that um, everyone is struggling you mm. and what really freed me was that you're not choosing this. No one would choose to be an addict. It's a it's a hard thing to go through. It's a it is a disease. I felt that the thing that freed me from most of the stuff was embracing that this wasn't my fault. I didn't choose it. It may look like that to other people who don't understand. And it may look like that to yourself that you failed, that you've relapsed, that this is who would choose to relapse? That's not a choice. This is something you are doing your, you're doing your best and I'm always doing my best. And sometimes that looks really messy, but if I was able to be better, I would, I I can't. Mm. And I think once I forgave myself for the things that seemed under my control and I let go and I stopped trying to control things that truly were never my fault to begin with, um, I was able to be free of it. I always say I caught anorexia and I'm really careful about saying that because I think that that was what prevented me from getting help for so long was that I felt like I had chosen this and that everyone I was hurting with it, like all of the, just eat a sandwich. Um, there's so much shame involved because it seems like a vain thing to, to a disease, a vain disease to have like, Oh, you just want to be thin. And now you're just, you're being hospitalized because you wanted to be thin. Like how mm. sad is that? And I just felt like, why did I do this to my family? Why did I do this to myself? Why did I do this to my friends? Like everyone who this is hurting, like, why am I doing this? All I have to do is eat a sandwich. Like people tell me to do what's wrong with me. And the truth was, as soon as I was able to associate my anorexia with almost a possession, like I, I had one therapist who told me he had a severe stutter, which I thought was not a good thing in a therapist because those sessions took a, you know, it took him a while to get things out. But it was the first time someone in a recovery process, I'd been to a lot of therapists at the time, said to me, this isn't your fault. I also struggle with something that people go, just spit it out. Like, you know what? I hear you talk normally. Why are you suffering with this one word? 
and they don't understand that you're you don't want to do this. No one wants to inconvenience everyone in their life. It's like I I really felt a lot of empathy from him. And he said, Why don't you look like at your illness as like the exorcist, that girl that gets possessed by the devil? Like, why don't you think of it like that? Like a little voice, that voice that says, Don't eat, you need to exercise, you're not allowed to have this many calories. Acknowledge the voice, but it's not you. Be separate mm. from your thoughts. And that mm. that was the first step for me of a long journey. I mean, that was 20 years ago at the very beginning of my recovery. But that was that actually was the essence of it all was it's not my fault. I'm not a bad person. I am not a weak person. I'm not. I'm just doing my best. And with what I grew up with, how my brain is wired, it is a mental and a physical disease. It is not something anyone would choose. You would be insane to want to be an alcoholic, to want to be a drug addict. Like it doesn't, you're not choosing it. You're just in pain. And these are the things you're doing that are the least harmful. And it might mm. seem like, wow, that's the most, that's the least harmful thing I can do is get loaded. Yeah. Yeah. But what if you didn't have that? You might have done something way worse. You know, like we're all trying our best. And I think as soon as you are gentle with yourself about that's huge your your usage or your relapsing, as soon as you go, look at girl, you at least I guess you needed that. You needed that binge. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're you're ashamed that you you had two weeks of not binging and then you did it. You must have been going through something. You know what? Yeah. It's okay. Forgiving yourself. It takes so much work, and I still work at it. But it, it the essence, it's it's having empathy for yourself that you're in pain. You're not trying to hurt anyone. You're actually trying right. to not be in pain. You're trying to right. get out of hurt. And you know, the example that you use, Nikki, I love that. And when we think about the exorcism being possessed, right, it's not something that she wanted into her life. I mean, if we're no. taking that as an example, but it was something that she dealt with and that almost not making that who she is, you know, yes. but that's not who you are. It's something that you're, you know, you're dealing with, but it's not who you are. And I think there are so many misconceptions out there about mental health and addiction. And so many people don't get it. Like people, like you said, with the therapist saying, just get it out, stop eating, stop doing this drug. You know, what do you wish people understood that they don't understand about addiction? I wish, you know, what I want addicts to understand and the people struggling is that people are always going to judge you. People are always going to say, just don't drink. Look at me. I don't drink. Just don't, don't, just don't smoke weed. Just there. You're always going to meet someone who just does not struggle with that thing. Much like you don't struggle with a lot of things you see other people struggling with, you know, like we can always find someone that belittles what we're dealing with and makes it seem so easy and makes us feel like so lazy or so weak that we can't do it. But what I want addicts to mostly know um, is that this is a practice in empathy for yourself and others. Like if you, other people need empathy to understand you, but them, tr them not getting it is not, it's, you're never going to fix that. I think it's about really accepting that yourself, not being mad at yourself. Something that really broke through for me that I mm -hmm. always share because the last addiction that I, you know, I let go of alcohol. Then I let go of weed. Then I started picking up bulimia. Then bulimia got too bad. So I put that away and I picked up weed again. Then I put down weed again because I had a boyfriend that didn't want me to smoke weed. Then I picked up uh, starving myself and exercising. Mm -hmm. Then I broke my legs. So I picked up just you know, like there was always something, uh, you know, to fill to, to fill the next thing. And I think the last thing that I dealt with was my eating disorder. I wasn't going to um, 
I didn't know how to fix it because it went from anorexia to bulimia to exercise bulimia to just starving myself to intermittent fasting, which I was deeming, mm -hmm. you know, oh, oh, this here's adult anorexia. Now I get to say I'm on a diet and nobody bothers me about it. And I get to just binge all night. What I found when I was trying to heal from that, um, that I use actually towards um, pot, like I gave up pot for the, like, the fourth time in my life last August. And I really feel a freedom from it in a way that I, I hadn't before because I approached it differently in the same way I approached my eating disorder. This is something I learned in recovery. There was a story someone shared one time of, you know, a woman that struggled with eating sugar and sugar just set her off. It was her, you know, alcohol. So she wasn't supposed to have sugar, but she's driving home from the store and she has a, a bag of Oreos that she's bringing home for her family for like a party. They're not hers. They're not for her. But she's like, you know what? I'm going to let myself have one, you know, for the ride home. Who cares? So she lets herself have one. Pretty soon, she has a whole row, the first row. Now, after that first row, she looks down and she's like, oh, my God. I had I had seven, whatever that is, seven cookies. I already had lunch. Like, I didn't deserve that. What did, I, I failed. I'm such a failure. That Now that anxiety of being mad at yourself about that row, Fuels you need it. to – you need to soothe that anxiety. What are, what are you going to soothe it with? What 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 tools do you have in the car to soothe that with? Oh, mm. look, more cookies. So then that becomes the whole bag. Whereas if she just consumed that first row, which is a minor offense when it comes to a binge, right? A, a whole row of cookies. It's a little much. It's not a binge that's going to make you really spiral necessarily. And so when I was trying to let go of pot, I said to myself, it's I need to start being gentle about my little missteps. So when I eat that row of cookies, when I have that hit of weed that seems like, okay, now I have to, now I'm going to do all the weed. I just go, well, you need it. Oh God, that was okay. That was it. You know what? You must've needed that. You poor thing. Like you were going through something. So for me, mm -hmm. that gentleness, when I was still struggling with weed, this is not about relapse. This was me being like, I need to let go of weed. How am I going to let it go? It wasn't working. I would try to give it up a couple of days and then I would go back. This was about, let me just change my tune about the thing that I'm trying to release. Instead of being like, I can't believe you're getting high again. It's in the more, it's the morning and you're getting high before you even get coffee. Now weed is more important than coffee to you. You're you've got a problem, Nikki. You're inhaling this mm -hmm. thing and your voice, you're losing your voice all the time. God, you're so weak. I just started going, thank That's God so for this. Strong. Cause who knows what I might be kicking my dog if it wasn't for this. Like who knows? Like I just started being nice about it because I'm not a bad person that I'm doing this. I know I'm not, I'm not doing this to hurt anyone. And it's, I don't know, a week after it was just, started it having it, just changed it. I was able to let it go. I won't, I'm, mm. it wasn't like, I, it wasn't necessarily easy, but it was a lot easier because I was just being nice to myself, even about the thing I felt so much shame about. I think once we accept that the things we're doing are not because we're a bad person or because we're weak or because we're trying to hurt other people. Cause I think addicts have this subconscious layer of I'm secretly a bad person and I'm selfish mm. and I'm, 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 there's something flawed about me. I'm a stained person. And when you give credence to that voice, that secret part of you that has low self-esteem, the only thing to soothe that feeling is more of the, the thing you're doing. And so when you truly get to a place where you accept that you're just trying to do your best, which I always thought was just such malarkey when people would be like, well, my mom did her best. And I go, you're, alcoholic mother who didn't love you or ever say I love you. That was her best. And it really was her best. Some people are incapable mm -hmm. of doing things. No one wants to be a bad mom. No one wants to be a bad friend. 
we really are all doing the best and no one can judge your situation. Even if someone goes, well, my mom beat me my whole childhood. You had a great childhood and you're an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. I, I, my childhood was worse than yours. You don't know what their brain, their brain might be different than yours. They were, yes. they might've had, you might've been traumatized at some level that they weren't like, you don't, no one gets to tell you, well, if I'm okay, then you should be okay. You have a specific makeup based on your nurture and nature, your brain and the way you were raised that made you who you are. And it is not your fault. None of it. Right. Is. I think that's huge because, you know, as I hear you say that, because there's so many people I know who are going to watch this on replay or who are watching right now and say, I felt like this is my fault. And I love how you said, even how I talk, your self-talk and giving yourself that grace in that process can be really, really, really huge. And, you know, I want one of the things I wanted you to talk about, because you kind of explained how you went through different, you know, it was different coping mechanisms. You know, it may have been the alcohol and then different coping mechanisms. At the underlying, did you have to also you know, because we know mental health and addiction and all that go hand in hand. Did you have to deal with the emotions or the things that were causing you to feel like that? Did you ever have to to dig deep to kind of process yeah. that part of your life? You know, I, I did. And I definitely, you know, did, um, uh, you know, work around that stuff. I was always in therapy. I was always treating depression sep as a separate issue, which I do feel it is because I'm always going to run a little depressed and a little anxious because the way my brain neurologically is set. And I do have tools to, to combat those fears and those, you know, feelings of insecurity. But I think that when we say, when we connect the two of like being depressed or being, having low self-esteem or, or childhood trauma, whatever it is with, and this is, that's why I'm drinking. That's why I'm doing this. Yes, it is, but it's, you don't have to heal the trauma to make Ooh, this stop. Okay. It doesn't because once we, it, because healing trauma takes, sometimes it's unhealable. I mean, sometimes it, it, and then what are you supposed to do? So be an addict the rest of your life. It is, a, it's, it is related, but it's not cause completely the cause. It can have affect your obviously anxiety, like can affect uh, you reaching for substances. But I think that if we always tie our addictive behavior to trauma and to our mm -hmm. mental health, then we kind of give ourselves a pass for why we reach for things. And I'm not saying that's a weakness. I'm just saying that is a way your, you know, your subconscious brain figures out a way to justify the behavior and give yourself an excuse to give in. Again, not a weakness, not a choice you consciously make, but I think I like to treat them a little bit separately. I can be someone with childhood trauma that has depression, that um, gets PMDD, has suicidal thoughts, that doesn't use. And I, 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 I'm just now starting to kind of like um, parse those two things. But they are, they are connected. You know, my, I, I first got depressed because I, my brain was eating itself because there's fat in my brain. There was no fat on my body, so I started getting wildly depressed. Um, and obviously, my, my anorexia was. For me, I look back was a slow suicide. I just wanted to, I wanted mm -hmm. to die. I didn't feel like I had any worth. I didn't, I did. I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be famous. I failed at every attempt at that through childhood, through high school. I didn't feel beautiful. I had a beautiful sister. I felt like the world had handed me that it wasn't my fault. The world had handed me a bad deck of cards. I had bad luck. And there, what was the point? And I really wanted out. And that was my way of 
screaming for help, but also taking a really slow suicide uh, out. And I still struggle with suicidal ideations, you know, like thoughts that come in a couple times a month before my cycle. If I'm having enough triggers, I get these little voices that are that say really weird things. And mm-hmm. what I do is I detach from those those. That's not me. That's like the sniffles for a cold. That's that's a symptom of I'm sick. I have the flu for my brain this week and I'm going to take off work to treat mm-hmm. it like I think it just sucks that with mental illness, it's always just seems like a choice for people. And I think that we are very far from getting to the place where we treat schizophrenia like cancer and we have the same kind of sympathy and empathy for someone going through it. And that's what that's what made me stop drinking, honestly, is because the hangover was so harsh. And I felt I've never felt sicker, physically sicker in my life than hangovers. Mm-hmm. No one ever gave me poor you. Can I bring you over some chicken soup? Can I bring mm-hmm. you a Gatorade? People Everyone were like, oh, you. it's your you fault. You know, right. Like, why would I ever do this to myself? I didn't want to do this. And I thought the lack of sympathy and empathy I got made me go, I, I don't want to do this anymore. But I think we should be we should be nicer to people who are hungover. It's it's no one wants to be. It's a terrible feeling. You don't you don't think about that when you're drinking. That's you're just and you drink. A lot of people say I drink to have fun. I drink to loosen up. I drink to have courage, which my joke is always like, it's not liquid courage. It makes you stupider. Mm-hmm. But that's okay that you want to get stupid. Yeah, getting stupid is good sometimes because it gets you away from your thoughts. So I get the, but don't don't lie to yourself and say it's liquid courage. If it were, firefighters would be getting loaded before they ran in a bur- burning building. It is that is not the way. It, it's not courage. But I just had to, I had to reframe the way I thought about things and the story I was telling myself about how I. I was diseased and I'm really effed up. Like all those things. I'm like, no, I'm a healthy person who just caught a bug. <laughs> you know, like, but you know what I love like about that. you Nikki, is you're such a deep thinker. Like I would have no clue because you know, humor, we get to hear, you know, the humorous side of you, but you're such a deep thinker. Like I can tell that you've like, you've spent time getting to know yourself. You spent time processing this. Like you've really done the work to be able to, like you said, I still have these thoughts, you know, sometimes. Yes. I'm able to manage them now. I'm able to get through it. And so I have tools. What'd you say? I have tools that are not food, starving, exercise, alcohol, marijuana. I have things that are knowing that if I go listen to a song or well, like dance this, to a song like- or like journal or call a friend, like that's kind of stuff. And sometimes I'm not good at that. Sometimes I do overeat. Sometimes I do have a craving for weed and I don't want to tell anyone about it. And I'm tempted to like do it. They, they, you know, I allow myself to have those because I'm not, I'm all, I'm just a person in pain that wants to, wants to feel better. That's all I am in those moments that I have those urges. That's all I am. Well, you have just, you've got to share some of those tools with us because yeah. I know you talked about a few of them. You said journaling, dancing, walk yes. me through some of the tools that you have found that have been the most beneficial that you're able to, when you're having these moments that you've been able to, to reach out to. Yes. Um, one that I found when I was trying to quit weed was I, um, I waited till I remember the day was in August and the, uh, the bachelorette was on and I was trying to think of something funny to say on my Instagram story. So I held it down for 15 seconds and I was like, if you can't think of something funny to say about the scene, that is hilarious. There's a problem. Cause I was having a problem with my memory and, um, and that was the time where I just go, okay, let's just make a list of every, like all the bad things about weed in your life. Like, let's make a list. And I, I, so I start wrote out a list about all the reasons I want to quit weed. 
And then I go, and then I'm going to write a list of all the reasons I love it and I need it. I never got to the list about all the reasons I love it because my hands started hurting because there was endless things that were bad about it. And I keep that list and I refer to it when I'm having those triggers, when I, I pull up that list to remind myself that you're trying to negotiate um, with someone who is an addict, who's not thinking clearly like you're you need you write yourself a letter in a good state of mind to the person that's going to try to weasel away to the do the thing they want to do and i think that is the thing that's been valuable to me is to do you carry that with you? friends in my life um i don't but i carry it with me like in my heart because i know that there is a list out there like it's it's i know where it is i think i picked it up one time since august when i needed it but because i saw it and because the story is my hand started hurting because i had so many that that feeling I just refer to and I'm like, there's no way that I'm going to find a justification to doing this. If the list that I made of bad things hurt my hand and oh. also why would I remember that I'm, I'm quitting something for a reason. If there was any reason to do it, I wouldn't have sought out, you know, step work and like therapists, like you don't do that. If you, if this is something that is good for your life. So mm -hmm. the, the, that person that tries to go back and fall back on those things, you know, when I sometimes overeat, when I, you know, my abstinence in terms of eating disorder is uh, eating three meals a day at least and never, never following up with never trying to starve myself again, never, never allowing myself to be like, I'm hungry. I'm going to I'm going to ride this out. Not allowing that ever again. And, you know, that is a very loose abstinence when it comes to eating disorder abstinence. There's very different kinds. There's no, you know, I don't do sugar. I don't eat three meals a day or like there's meal plans. There's di that's eating disorder is a whole different kind of sobriety that um, mm -hmm. is not as simple as just no alcohol, no drugs. Um, but for me, there are times where I do overeat. There are times where I do wake up in the middle of the night and I want to go to the kitchen. And sometimes I do. What I do now, though, in those moments is I... Um, especially with the protein bar thing, like one of a part of my absence that I've fallen, that's fallen away. I've been absent for two years from, uh, over two years from starving myself and exercising to burn calories. And, um, yeah. And just any, from any skipping any meals for two years, but part of my absence used to be don't eat in bed. Well, mm -hmm. that kind of, I got a little loose with that because I got away from keeping up with it. And now I, you know, the other night I woke up and it's been like a few nights in a row of like waking up and like reaching for these protein bars that I used to live on. Right. And it's two protein bars. But I, um, what I'm dealing with right now when feeling this kind of like slipping back into it and eating in bed because I justify I'm in a hotel room. The bed is the chair. The bed's the kitchen. The bed's the mm -hmm. room. Like that's not my bedroom. It's a hotel room. Having these excuses to get back into that. I. I now do, I refer to the, the Oreo cookie story of like these two protein bars. If you're having shame about two, that's going to lead to 17 again, because you're going to mm -hmm. feel so stressed out about this too. Let it be just two. Let it be. It's okay. You know, this isn't great. Like going back Girl, to that you're trying your best. It's the way I talk to myself in my mirror about body image. Like being light with myself is such a tool. When I find myself in the mirror going, ugh, holding things, turning to the side, just like going, ugh, I, I don't get mad at myself for uh, hey, because that's going to mm -hmm. be, that's just what I did. I didn't mean to, I'm not trying to be mean to myself. And I just go, well, you're looking four months pregnant today, girl. Good job. Like I just laugh about it. I try to be light about it because it isn't forever. It does. It can, I can start right. over tomorrow. It's 
this is temporary. My body changes every day. I try to be humorous about it, which, mm-hmm. you know, ironically has been very difficult for me to be funny about mm-hmm. stuff and about my uh, appearance. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to myself. And and I think that's something that's harmful about celebrities being like, let's get real. This is my cellulite. This is me without makeup because they're not telling the whole story. And it is okay to be like, I hate my body today. And you might be thinner than the person you're saying that to. That's not the greatest thing to put out there. It's going to make them maybe feel bad. But sometimes you're so diseased. You're like, no, it looks good on you. I re- Usually when I'm, I feel fat, I'm depressed. Something's going on. It's mm-hmm. not about the fat. But something's going but on it, with you. But it's okay to not like your body. To, to be mad. I hate when I feel like I'm failing at being body positive. Because that's another just form of shame. Now I can't be as good about my body as Lizzo. God, I can't even be. I, I like you're you're failing if you hate your body. Failing if you like your body too much. You're failing either way. So I don't like this whole thing of like, you know. I've heard sometimes like Nikki when you talk about wanting to be hot or struggling with wanting to look young. That's really a bad example for young girls. And I say, honestly, you know what I think is a bad example for young girls? Lying about that I like my looks when I don't. Because I'm living in a world that is constantly making me feel bad about myself. And if I'm not denying my feelings, they might be wrong and not a good example. But for me, the best example Mm -hmm. I can have is honesty about how I feel. And that is, and that to me is. That's huge. I mean, I think first of all, so Nikki, girl, you can tell your whole story. I don't even know if I need to be here because you got so much information. I talk so much. I'm so sorry. No, Nikki, I'm like, it's so good because I'm just like, I feel like I'm watching like an episode of your show or something, you know, and I'm listening to this, <laughs> like a wealth of information and giving us so much insight and transparency. So I wanted to touch on a few things. You mentioned humor. You know, yes. was humor, has humor been a coping mechanism for you as well through this? Because, you know, you think about how you even landed into comedy, but was yeah. that something that led you down that path? I think humor is both really beneficial for recovery, but also has made it so that I haven't had to look at things straight on. Because when you are sincere and emotional and you tap into the truth of a situation, which might not be that funny and you get vulnerable, it's very, very uncomfortable. These things that we have to do to get to the place where we're ready to make a change or attempt recovery. We have to get really vulnerable and that's not funny. And I feel that stand up a lot of times when I got recovered, I got really frustrated with comedy because I was like, I have to make everything a joke. And sometimes I just want to say the truth and not have to be like, I'm just kidding. But I'm like, it just, you know, there was that special Nanette that I really loved. And a lot of standups were like, that's not stand up. They got so mad because she pretty much said, what or they I, I forget how what she I don't mean to um misgender uh uh what is their name fuck um sorry I don't mean to cuss oh, girl, anyway, that's okay that's okay the special sure that, that yes. comedian talked about how they were sick of making everything a joke because it it takes the air out it makes everyone go oh, okay good I'm not uncomfortable guess what recovery is uncomfortable the reason we reach for things, or at least I, I can only speak for myself. The reason I reach for food or starving myself is anything is because I'm in deep discomfort with the feelings I'm feeling and I want to release. And I feel like comedy was, I was very, I loved comedy so much because I got to tell the truth, but then I got to just go, just take it back. And it was like this release. And so I just got resentful of it after I got recovered from 
um, starving myself and eating stuff because I thought, you know what? I think it's, I don't like, it's not honest. It's like, it's fake honesty. It's, it's not telling the whole truth. It's, it's, it's cutting the tension. It's kind of like a drug. Like it's, it's going like, I'm deeply uncomfortable with what you just said. Oh God. Okay. She's kidding. Like it's, it just, it's the safety net that just takes you out of discomfort. And we are so scared to be uncomfortable. That's why we pick up our phones right away with the second, like, Oh, this yeah. is like so you turn to things constantly. We're not wrong to do it, but there was something that was avoiding the truth about stand-up that made me kind of annoyed. And I maybe got in a little bit like I got a little too um uh, preachy at times with my stand-up because I was like, I don't need to be funny anymore. I just want to tell the truth. And listen, I don't have any degrees. I'm I'm just a dumb comic. So like I do think comedy is helpful though, in like I said before, when you see yourself in your reflection and you don't feel good about yourself. Just being like, well, you look like a dude today, Nick. And it's like, that's, that's not, I'm not being mean about it or like, wow. Or if I say to myself, oh God, you're disgusting. I just go, whoa, someone's being a little mean to themselves. Like being so gentle about it, being funny there. about it. I Instead love it. Well, you like, know interesting. Don't be mean to yourself because then I'm being mean to myself without being mean to myself. Like be, try and to get to a like, place of like, well, all right. right. Like, yeah. Just it. like that well, acceptance. Yeah. And then you get down that spiral. But I want to touch on a few other things because I know I've kept you a little over time, but this is so no, good. I don't mind. So, so I, you know, one of the things I think about is a lot of people, we've heard a lot of comedians who've either, you know, you know, may have died from overdose or been in rehab and things like that. Do you think we're talking enough about it in the comedy community? Because you brought up a good point. Because a lot of times we're touching on subjects, but then we can go, oh, we're not that serious. It's not that serious, you know, that kind of thing and make light of it. But do you think we need to have more of that open discussion in that comedy community? Because many people are struggling. I would like more, you know, not, not necessarily in standup. There's a time and a place for it. You don't want to hear every song to be about like addiction or like there's, there's a certain responsibility on artists, especially comedians. I think that I want to know the whole story. And I think that a lot of times comedy can be, I mean, comedians become comedians because we have low self-esteem that this whole, like I'm a comedian and I'm confident. Like it's when people go, you're so confident. I go, Oh my God, that's so the opposite of what it is. It is, you know, it's, it's overcompensation to make it look like I'm confident because I'm so not like, I would not be a comedian if I liked myself. I, I do it now. And I do like myself because I have a new joy in it. That isn't about like, will you guys like me? But comedians desperately need your approval. We have low self-esteem. It's what gets you into it. So when comedians are like, no, I like myself. And I go, then you're not funny because being funny is a way to get people to like you because you feel inherently unlovable. So you, it's a survival technique to get people to like you. Every time I talk, I need to get immediate, like someone laugh, like laugh at me. Do you guys like me? Okay. I'm going to say another thing. Laugh at me when you're, I'm trying to, I'm starting to play music and I can only become a musician now because I'm, un, I'm comfortable with whether you, I don't need you to like me right away. Before I was like, how do you play a song for four minutes and it's silent and you don't know if they like you during the whole thing. You have to wait till the end. And then whether or not you did well, they're just going to fake it anyway. They're not going to be honest with you. I was desperate for approval. So I think that sometimes I see comedians that's that the I case know. For a lot of people, a lot of comedians. I mean, every I single comedian that. that is good. If you like really? a good comedian, they have low self-esteem a hundred percent. The class clown, they make jokes about themselves before you can get to them. Like, comedians are the saddest people in the in the world and i'm not saying wearing that as a badge like it's just the truth and i want i call it out because i hate this new genre of comedians that is so cocky because it is 
it's so fake and it's in it's in the name of being honest and real like i'm just gonna tell like it is i'm not gonna apologize dude you know you you secretly think you're you know the a you know a piece of s at the center of the universe it's a common recovery term of like you think you're a bad person but like you're selfish and want all eyes on you that's a classic that's why so many comedians are addicts we're in deep pain Mm. and i think that you know it's suicide addiction um you know sexual deviance these are all things that are happening behind the scenes in comedy and in show business a lot because to to want to be famous is to want strangers to love you because you don't feel lovable enough without it we i could i do not relate to people who don't want to be famous and other i'm re- learning on my reality show which my parents are on I just assumed everyone in my life would want to be on TV. Like, who wouldn't want to be on TV? I come to find out no one except me in my life. None of the people on my reality show, I had to talk them all into it. I'm like, wait, you don't want to be on TV? They're like, no. I'm like, but people like the world. Oh, no. I think we went out here for a second. I'm not sure if we can still hear you, Nikki, or if you can still hear me. So hopefully we'll be able to get you back because you were in the middle of a really good story. So I'm hoping that it's just on my end as we're sitting here listening to Nikki share more of her um, story. I mean, she's brought up some really interesting points as, you know, if we've been here today, I'm not really sure if she can still hear me. So hopefully if you guys can, let's, let's see if people can still hear me. If you can still hear me, please drop a one in the chat. We want to see if people are still able to hear this interview, I think Nikki has frozen at this moment, or it could be that I've frozen at this moment um, as we were in the Probably midst for the of- best. Oh, wait, I'm back. You're back. You know what? I was, I'm just talking and so I'm like, you. wait, can they hear Nikki or can they hear me? I'm not really sure. <laughs> uh, we talked about this before the show. We were like, if something bad happens, it's like, you know what? Actually, that's like a little bit of a relapse. Like I'm accepting it. It wasn't our fault. We didn't want that to happen. My internet, I, I chose the greatest signal I could. It wasn't the greatest one. You know what? Things are going to happen. I forgive myself for it. Uh, We don't, you know, things like this. Like, I think that a lot of times celebrities, when I misstep on a thing that is a lot of pressure, I freak out. Like, I remember right before, right when I was entering into recovery during pandemic, um, I did an interview with Conan for his show. And I forgot some joke that I was supposed to say that I was like excited about. And somehow I forgot it. And I beat myself up all day. Like, how could I forget? You're so stupid. That was the one funny thing you had to say. You forgot the only funny thing you had to say you forgot. Like, what an idiot. Why are you even in this business? Like, you weren't even funny. Mm-hmm. Conan's going to know you're a fraud. He's never going to have your on you sh- the show again. I was living with my parents at the time. And they looked at me like, what is wrong with you? Like, it sounded good to us. And I'm like, I beat myself up all day long. And now when that happens, which it used to happen all the time, I miss one you know, I, I flub a line. I forget a joke. I say the wrong thing and, and it, it it doesn't get a laugh. Now I just go, I didn't want to forget that line. I didn't want to, if, if, if I could have a choice, I would have done it right. So this whole thing of like, you're stupid, like it wasn't your fault. You didn't, if you could write the tale of your life, it would not go the way it's going. Right. Therefore your life, the things that happen to you and the choices you make are really not your fault. Like I, I don't, believe that you know when i when i make a mistake even if i do something that seems very intentional like let's say mm-hmm. i say something really mean to my partner and i want to hurt him that isn't even my fault you know why because i said that thing because i felt backed into a corner like a dog that bites something that they're scared of like 
it's just my instinct to lash out because I got scared in that moment. It was an instinct that I didn't predetermined to do. I don't, I forgive myself for messing up and for not being perfect because God, I wish I was, it's but never going to be the way. You know? And, but I, I man, do I still think that some people are, I mean, that's the thing. I, like, know. It's I, such still, I still, even though I know they're not, cause I've seen it, yes. I still get into the mindset and it's going to follow me the rest of my life. I accept it. I am going to go down wormholes on Instagram and compare myself to people on there. And it's going to feel bad. Yes, I'll get better about it over time. And someday Instagram won't exist. There'll be some other platform, but that's okay. I'm doing the best I can. Sometimes I need to soothe myself by going on JLo's Instagram and comparing myself to her. Sometimes that I need to like, I need to hurt myself in that way a little bit and acknowledging that that is the least harm I can do. That's better than literally cutting myself, which used to be a, a tool that I used when I was in pain. Now I'm, I go on JLo's feed. And that's a, mm-hmm. that is a less messy and harmful yes. way of hurting myself. And you know what? It's not the best. I, there are better ways, but in that moment, it's all you're I can do. The be- you're do- and you know, I think there's so many golden nuggets from your story. And I want to give you, like, if there were three lessons, you know, that you wish that people would take away from what they've heard from your story, what would they be? What would you wish as you're looking, looking even listening back to yourself, three things, three to five things that you'd say, hey, I wish... I had paid attention. I wish I had done this or here's what I hope people will take away. Number one, nothing is your fault. You're trying your best. No one would ever, ch- even if you're like a really bad person, you didn't choose the brain that made you an evil person or to have the things that you're into that you're so ashamed of. You didn't, you didn't get to pick your brain. So sorry, it's not your fault. Um, number two, recovery sometimes is not it's not going to, you're not going to get struck sober. You're not going to go suddenly like, oh, I want to be sober. It might be hard. You, but you know what is really hard? We're walk, waking up every day, hungover and going to work, um, hiding your uh, cleaning toilets with throw up in them. That's hard. You, the addiction is hard. So you're not someone who can't do hard things. Living with a secret addiction is hard. So you are doing something hard already. Okay. So when you look at like overcoming something, it's too hard. I can't. Girl, guy, person, you are already, you're someone who's, who is functioning and still alive with an active addiction. Boy, that sounds hard to me. So you can do hard things. This is just a different hard thing. I think so much of me was just waiting, going to, you know, the meetings I was going to waiting till it just seemed like a good idea to stop starving myself and to start eating breakfast, which by the way, no woman I've ever known in my life eats breakfast. It's always skip breakfast. So I'm going to start eating breakfast. You're, you're, no, I won't. Yeah, right. Mm. But I was waiting for some kind of sign where it was just it's like, right? I want to yeah. eat breakfast. Guess what? That never came. You know what did come was a day where someone I was working with about getting abstinence said, uh, this is going to be uncomfortable. And you could always go back to the way it was. Why don't you just try something else? And I think that's the third thing is like, it's not going to be easy and you can always go back to the way you were doing it. Mm. Trying something new just, and it's, it, it is one day at a time. And sometimes when I hear one day at a time, I go, that's too long. Sometimes it's one minute at a time, you know, okay. I won't binge for the next four minutes. Let me put on a song at the end of the song. I can binge if I still want to. And then I go, well, let me try four more minutes. Sometimes it's one second at a time. One day at a time seems like sometimes I'm like, I don't want to go all tomorrow without smoking weed or whatever it is. So it really is about, um, not waiting for it to seem like a good idea and knowing that you can always go back to the way it was. 
you know, mm -hmm. and if, if you knew, and that's, you don't have all the answers. And that I think a lot of times addicts convince themselves that like, I've tried everything. I'm different. You are not, you're a special person. Your, your disease is not different than everyone else's disease. I used to think, yeah, those people can recover and eat breakfast and still be the size they want to be and eat three meals a day and not starve and not exercise. But I'm different. I have to do that to, to be, to be happy. No, no, no. That wasn't, I was not, I was not unique. I thought my mm -hmm. disease was I, yeah, I, w I wish I could be normal, but I can't, you're not unique. There's always someone who you, when you start opening yourself up to stories of recovery and people's stories, you realize that if they can, you can. And that's so good. I really, I really think that that kind of, you know, we all have low self-esteem, I think as addicts, but there's a part of us that feels like, no, I'm different. This mm. is just the way I am and I'm different. It's good for you, but I can't. And, um, and honestly, anyone you look at who drinks or you look to look at as a user of this thing you you want to do or used to do or trying to give up and you glorify them and think, well, Hunter S. Thompson or Doug Stanhope, you know, there are different comedians that you're like, I'm going to be a comedian who doesn't drink. I'm going to be so lame. You're not getting the whole tale of that person's life. I don't know those people's lives that I just mentioned. But when I look at someone that I go, oh, she's doing a diet, a cleanse. She looks so good. I mm. should I should get to do it No. You don't get to girl. You had your fun with that stuff. It's not, you can't handle it. Some people mm -hmm. that's just not for me. I can't, you know, just like I can't play football. Like some things aren't for me. Just right. because that girl gets okay. to do a juice cleanse. I don't get it's to do cute. it. And right. that girl looks a lot happier. I know what being on a cleanse is like, or starving myself or doing a diet feels like. I know that that is not a happy life for me. And that girl, I can assume she's telling me she's happy and maybe she is, but I'm, I'm guessing that's not the whole story. Wow. Well, I think you've, this has been amazing. Somebody just said, please keep sharing your story. This has been one of the most inspiring talks I've heard. Oh, Nikki, so nice. I, mean, I mean, I know, I mean, just, I'm just so enthralled in your, in your story and just the golden nuggets that you have dropped. So as we end, I just want to say, first of all, thank you. Thank because you. your transparency, even saying, even to this day, I'm still having challenges, oh, yeah. still have thoughts. To give that level of transparency to somebody who in the midst of Mental Health Awareness Month is going, oh my God, I'm an anomaly. Something's totally wrong with me. I'm a bad person. And to hear someone like yourself say that is so freeing. So I oh, want to thank, thank you. you for coming on Addiction Talk. Um, we've thoroughly enjoyed having you and I know we'll be watching all the things that you're doing. And I guess I can't be on here without asking you what's next. One final question. What's next for you? How can we continue to stay connected to you? Um, well, my reality show on E! is really my attempt at getting very real. You know, we don't get into my addictions a lot, but you know, you're not going to see me. You're going to see me looking rough. You're going to see me looking like scenes where you're like, is she on meth? Like there are some scenes where I'm like, that looks like a mugshot photo of like, I look like Nick Nolte with a, a DUI photo. Like I really got real. I was trying to be the anti Kardashian of like, uh, not getting full hair and makeup to go to the, to visit my parents, like just really trying to keep it real on reality TV. So I think people will really enjoy my E show. That's on every Sunday night, um, at nine, 10 or 10, nine central. And it's called Welcome Home, Nikki Glazer, question mark. And then I have um, a, a bunch of Netflix specials, a uh, Comedy Central special. And I also do a podcast every single day that's very, very much like what we just did called the Nikki Glazer podcast. And I do it with my best friend who is also someone who talks very openly about mental health and all this stuff. And, um, and that's just been uh, the most healing thing because I'm very real on that. And then also I have a special coming out on HBO this summer that you can check out. 
Okay. Well, so many great things. And if you're someone who's struggling tonight, we do have a number at the bottom of your screen. There will be somebody there to talk to you. And thank you. Thank you again, Nikki. And we wish you all the best. And that's going to do it for another edition of Addiction Talk. Thank you, Joy.